HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. It's 1 p.m. on a Monday. I'm in the backyard at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and that means it is time for Tech Bites. This is the penultimate episode of 2015, and that's a really big word, and it actually means second to last episode. And I know this because when it was the penultimate episode of Game of Thrones, we all thought it was the last one, and we were wrong. (laughs) There's still one more coming. But today, I have in studio with me my co-conspirator, my engineer, the musical director, the man who runs the board and makes it all happen, Jack Inslee. Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect time for you to step into the studio and sit down and put on the headphones so we can kind of reminisce about the year that was. I get to experience just how comfy these chairs are. For the second time. That's right. Because you were in here as an in-studio guest earlier this year with Uptown Nico, the DJ who created that amazing tech song, which is our theme song, Uptown Nico. It's a funny little ditty called CPU Nomada. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to be here talking about food this time. It was was all music and uh, DJing, which was a lot of fun last time you had me in here. But uh, I'll put a different hat on. Well, food plus tech. Plus tech, of course. Because this is the intersection of food and technology. And I often say not kitchen technology. It's not immersion circulators and calcium alginates. That's the land of Dave Arnold and his show Cooking Matters. Cooking Issues. Issues. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. (laughs) This is about digital, social, web tech. And there was a lot of stuff that happened this year, I think. So much that happened this year. What do you think the biggest food tech story is? Food tech story has to be the delivery services, I think. Um, not only are more of them being introduced, they seem to be succeeding. Um, you know, from Purple Carrot to Quincible, Blue Apron, Maple, 
that I think is kind of the biggest trend for me that that seems to have emerged in the food tech space. So when you say food delivery services, you're talking about companies that create a food product, whether it be hot, fresh or mise en place, and then delivers that food product to you. Correct. So we're not talking about the third party delivery services like Seamless and Grubhub. No, which now I've soured on thanks to <laughs> Tech Bytes. Because that's also, I think, a trending topic. They're, they're two halves of the same food delivery coin, I think. And the third party services are, at first glance, really easy and convenient for consumers. But at second glance, you know, Tech Bytes' first episode of this season was about, are they good for restaurants? And the short answer in many cases is no. And ultimately, are they good for consumers, right? Because what's good for the restaurant should be good for you. Um, and uh, I, I think the idea that a restaurant seeing an order come through a third party system may not prioritize it as much in a, as an order that came directly through them. I think that's an important idea for the consumer to say, hey, dealing direct with the restaurant may go better for you as well. Because they then you build a relationship with the restaurant, and they know who you are, and they know you like ketchup on the side, and maybe extra pickles, right. or you need a menu to go with it, and, and all those kinds of things, and you become a person who has a relationship with the group of people who make your food. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, other, I think other kind of trends in the tech space were payment systems. Absolutely. When you had an up-close and personal experiences with the cover payment absolutely all year um and and i've seen it improve um and i've seen more people use things like apple pay in stores um i think it's slowly catching on i don't know that people are totally ready to ditch their wallet and their cards in favor of like an app and stored information but i, I see that kind of continuing through next year probably so part of the whole theme behind payment services like Cover is to Uberize your restaurant experience, which means you plug in the credit card, the tip amount, all those things, and then you can just get up, get up from the table and walk away. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that you have a pretty decent relationship with Uber now. <laughs> it's, been, yeah. it's been a rocky road for you this year, but I think yes. you're coming out of it. You're still friends with Uber. Hey, I ultimately, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of convenience, and um, it, it's pretty convenient with Uber. And the thing I have to say about Cover, um, when I started using the app, I was using it in a, in a dining context, right? So it's like you're dealing with a server. Server usually brings your check. There is an, an amount of awkwardness when you're using an app. Because when you're done with the meal, she's like, I'll bring your check. And you're like, oh, wait, I'm on cover. And then she goes, oh, right. Let me just check and make sure I have your info in the system and I'll come right back. So really nothing's been streamlined by that point, right? So it's not quite Uberizing your, not always. your meal check experience. But I want to follow up and say that at bars, it absolutely has. Because no longer do you have to leave a card and your license maybe and say, I'm opening a tab. I'll close my tab. You have a few drinks. There's a big crowd at the bar. You have to raise your hand and say, ah, I want to close my tab. I want to close my tab. No longer. Just use cover. And it's like the easiest thing in the world. I can't tell you how nervous it makes me to see that little highball glass in the bar sitting next to the cash register with like 12 credit cards in it for everybody who's opened yeah, a right? tab with the pieces of paper and pens. And then I also can't tell you how many times I have had friends say to me and then... I have 
I can't meet up with you until later because I have to go back to the bar to get my credit oh card my goodness, that I left worst. the night before. When I use cover at the bar, it's like, it's it's genius. It's so genius. You're even like, yeah, let me just get one more round and then we're out. <laughs> you know, They serve you your drinks and you're like, bye. And you just walk away. Well, I do think that all of these things will converge ultimately and we will walk out of our homes and offices and dwellings with one device that will have the keys to money, transportation, music, connectivity, food, and all of that, which service actually wins out and which process we actually use and how the banks and cybersecurity deal with all of that, I think is left to be sorted out. But I do think that it's definitely coming and that cash will probably become a really charming, charming thing that, you know, your grandma sends you in a <laughs> holiday card. <laughs> yes. Agreed. So we are teed up to get some 2015 highlights from some guests of Tech Bytes episodes past. We're going to take a quick, quick break and then come back with Ryan Sutton, Eater New York's restaurant critic, and see what he has to say about the best and the worst of 2015. Stay with us. Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice, and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Firesider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Fire cider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Fire cider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit firesider.com. Hello, hello. We are back, and we have Ryan Sutton on the line. Hello, Jennifer. How are you? Good, good. I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Well, you know, we love your point of view. You have a, a great 10-year history of what's going on in restaurants and restaurant reviews, and you also, as a bonus, have a really good radio voice. Why, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It comes from my father. I come from a family of good voices. Well, I hope your dad's listening now. <laughs> I hope so, too. So we are talking about year 2015 in review. What do you think the biggest storyline is for restaurants this year? 
Well, for oh gosh, so many different things to talk about, both in, in restaurants and, and technology. And in, in, in restaurants, I think the, the big news of this year was something I had the good fortune to report on. It was the uh, Danny Myers decision that he would eliminate tipping at all of his restaurants by the end of next year. He already started this uh, at the Modern, uh, his most expensive and his most highly trafficked restaurant at the Museum of Modern Art in Midtown Manhattan. Um, he's doing it the European way. He's not adding a service charge or an administrative fee. Rather, he's going service included uh, in the vein of uh, Thomas Keller's per se. Thomas Keller, of course, did that about 10 years ago. Um, of course, Thomas Keller only did that at one restaurant. You don't see his no-tipping policy at you know the more casual Bouchons or his other restaurants. Danny Meyer is going for the full Monty. He's doing it at all of his venues. He's doing it for a very good reason because the tip minimum is rising in New York by $2.50 an hour, which means waiters are getting a big raise, but you know cooks aren't because you can't redistribute tips to cooks. Uh, the way you get around this is by eliminating tipping, by raising everyone's wages, and of course by raising everyone's wages, uh, you also have to raise prices. Uh, and so that's uh, going to be a complicated thing to a certain extent. But he, he's been waging a very impressive public service campaign. And and a lot of journalists have been focusing more about the state of labor in the restaurant industry. So what we're all hoping for is that, A, this will work, and B, that diners will become increasingly cognizant uh, that we've been underpaying for our food for a long time, not just in terms of the actual price of a deviled egg or a spoonful of caviar, but, you know, we have been undervaluing um, the price of labor in restaurants. And just as diners uh, in the past were willing to pay more and currently are willing to pay more for, you know, beef that comes from an animal um, who was treated better uh, during its short life, I hope that people now are increasingly willing to pay more for food uh, that comes from a server uh, who has a better schedule or from a cook who now gets a few extra dollars. And so without a doubt, I'd say, you know, the uh, the decision to eliminate tipping is by far one of the biggest restaurant stories of the year. And it's cashing on. It's not just Danny Meyer's restaurants. It's 11 Madison Park is doing it. Uh, some other restaurants have it in a pipe uh, in terms of they're getting ready to do it. Tom Colicchio eliminated tipping at lunch. So we're, we're finally moving to this smarter um, European-style model. And that's, of course, this whole movement to end tipping, like I said, is... is um, it's part of uh, the larger labor movement in America right now because as the federal minimum wage languishes at 7.25 an hour, states and cities have really taken the lead on uh, raising it elsewhere. And because restaurant jobs are among the lowest paying jobs in America, it's, it's heartwarming to see uh, a lot of the cooks and waiters and chefs uh, get a raise. Um, uh, you know, and, and that's that'll, that'll, that's happening now and that'll happen in the coming months in New York and in other states. That's a really strong choice for impactful stories in 2015 and adjacent to that story um, I, I'm glad that you brought up the raising of the minimum wage because this is also uh, restaurant owners sort of making a preemptive move to when the minimum wage is going to be increasing over time and I believe I've read that it's going to ultimately land at about $15 an hour the, and, and adjacent to people working and earning a living wage on the Tech Bytes holiday episode for Thanksgiving. That was the day that the New York Coalition um, for the Homeless released their annual statistics. And statistically, and I know you enjoy numbers, there are 1.8 million New Yorkers who are working poor. So we have a lot of conversations independently in the news right now about 
people who are working one or two full-time jobs and do not have enough money to eat. We're having conversations about the crisis in the restaurant industry about there are no good cooks to hire and maybe the good cooks are going to corporate kitchens where the living wage is better. And then we have how restaurant owners can you know, create a quality product and a wonderful experience for their guests, but still, you know, maintain something that's viable on the financial side. So I think all these different storylines are coalescing in a very interesting way at the intersection of restaurant dining rooms and kitchens. And um, I'm going to be actually looking forward to reading some more of your pieces because you did a couple already of really interesting long format stories about sort of trying to unpack all this information and what it really means. And it's, and it's a lot to unpack. And it's, it's you know, if, if you want to get into the media side of the equation, it's been, it's been really heartwarming to me to know that people, and I mean this in, in a humble way, because, you know, when I started off on the labor beat, I didn't think, you know, people would read a lot of these stories. But uh, I'm getting uh, as much attention and as many people reading my labor stories as they're reading my reviews as my position as a restaurant critic for Eater. And that's, it shows that, um, you know, Americans and New Yorkers and people who live here care about the welfare of the people who are serving us food. Uh, right now, the minimum wage uh, in New York is $8.75. It's going up to $9 in 2016. Uh, that's a start, but of course, that's a lot less than the living wage in New York for a childless adult, which is $14.30 an hour. So there's still about a, a $5 gap. Um, New York State, as you mentioned before, is trying to bridge that gap. And there's a chance that by 2018, uh, the minimum wage for all workers is going up to $15 an hour. Um, it, that's going to require a lot of um, backslapping in the New York Senate because uh, some of the Republicans um, oppose that measure. So it's not clear yet whether it's going to go through. What is clear is that the fast food minimum in New York will go up to, in New York City that is, will go up to eight fifteen dollars by 2018 and $15 in the middle of 2021 for the rest of the state. And that's hugely important because people who work in the fast food industry are, without a doubt, some of the lowest paid workers in New York. I think their average wages hover a little under $9 an hour uh, right now. So there are, there are absolutely fascinating things going on in that regard, you know, bridging the gap between the minimum wage and the living wage. Because even if you're earning the minimum wage, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can afford to have uh, you know, an apartment or, or, or the, the minimum wage generally only takes into consideration uh, things like, you know, your basic necessities and food. It's a little bit closer to the poverty wage than it is, you know, the, the true cost of living in an expensive city uh, like New York. And so the fact that this is all happening and that citizens are, are caring about it is, is hugely important for our, for our restaurant industry, which is also taking the lead in this and, and starting to pay uh, diners, I'm sorry, trying to pay chefs and cooks more uh, ahead of these increases, which I think is fascinating. When you look at some of Danny Meyer's restaurants, he has, as he's eliminating tipping, uh, he has pledged to stay ahead of the fast food increases in his professional kitchens, which of course is important, and he has an incentive incentive to do so, so he doesn't lose some of his fine dining chefs uh, to uh, fast food restaurants who will um, essentially have a lower, uh, a higher uh, minimum wage than the average wage for a cook in New York. Right now, the average cook in New York earns about $13.29 an hour. Uh, so they, 
uh, cooks in New York still have a ways to go before they earn more than uh, before, until they earn as much as, as the true living wage. That's absolutely breathtaking and, and something for everybody listening to really think about the next time you sit down at a meal or you make a decision where you're going to eat based on you know how cheap or how expensive it is. I'll say two quick things to you, um, Ryan. One thing is that when we had Mark Eggerman, who's the founder of Cover, um, I don't know if you've met him. I'm sure you two would have an interesting conversation because he comes from finance and used to work for the Fed. He had said statistically that in Cover, because people put their credit card information, they set a predetermined tip amount of mm-hmm. what they generally want to be tipping, whether that's 15% or 20% or whatever the case may be. And people do have the ability to go back after the fact and change their tip or before they close out that transaction, change their tip amount. And he said that statistically, less than 10% of people actually ever do that. So I do think that the uh, public, you know, complaint of, well, but I want to be able to vote, you know, with my tip, you're kind of voting with your money just being in the restaurant unto itself. And that probably on the day to day with Uber and with Cover and with all these other formats of payment, very, very few people find the service so unsatisfying that they're going to take the time to go back and and readjust their tip. The last thing that I'll say um, uh, before we let you go is that. It's a great story. This is a big story. I think it's going to be one of the big stories moving forward into 2016 and and definitely beyond. And while I really enjoy reading your restaurant reviews, you really do have a a special gift, I think, for doing the financial analytics and the number crunching. And that is a story line that most people are not telling. You know, we have a lot of restaurant reviews and a lot of choices on the critical side, which is great. But very few people are doing the kind of analytical, economical uh, writing that you're doing. So I would say, you know, keep on keeping on. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, without a doubt. And yes, without a doubt, mobile payments are the the key to a a tipless future. And the more we have places like CoverPay and Apple Pay and other such apps, uh, the closer we're going to move to that tip-free form of dining and the sooner uh, things are going to be better off for everyone in the restaurant industry and better off for the diners. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Ryan. Thank you for your work on the blogs and online. And One more question before we let you go. Which app did you use the most this year, Ryan? Uh, the one app I use the most this year? Uh, it, you know, it's funny. I don't use a whole lot of apps, but the, uh, the, the two apps that impressed me the most this year have been uh, both Resi and, and Reserve. Um, and they are you know, trying to disrupt you know, the open table dominance of the reservation systems. And the reason I like them most is because uh, they really are setting the, the bar a little bit higher uh, for making reservations. Instead of just everyone snapping up things for free on open table, uh, now the bar is a little bit higher. And so I think that when you use Reserve or Resi, you have a little bit more of a fair shot of, of getting into those restaurants. Sometimes there's a fee involved, but you know what? I'm okay with that. All right. Wonderful. Well, have a great rest of your year. Have a happy new year. And we look forward to reading you and talking to you in 2016. I look forward to chatting with you, too. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks. So stay tuned, folks. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk with Gilly Houston from Yahoo Food. It's Tech Bites.
if you're wondering what you just clicked on, this is the Tech Bytes 2015 Year in Review, and Whoa. I'm in studio with Jack Inslee. Yep, I'm here. I was loving that music. Thank you, Keto. Keto, otherwise known as Declan Christianberry, who was our first intern. That's right. Studio intern earlier this year. Yeah. Free pl- uh, I'm going to plug real, real quick. Um, full service comes to Babies All Right in Williamsburg on Friday. That's uh, for those listening in the future. It's Friday, December 11th, 2015. Who knows when you're listening? Um, but Keto will be live in person DJing at Babies All Right. So come check them out. Kids coming home from school. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Glad he made it out of the first semester. Um, you know, and he was really great to have here because even though he's a college kid, he was a high school kid, he's a college kid and DJ. Whenever it came time to talk about the apps and his favorite app, he usually pulled out something super serious That's right. and political almost all the time. Like one of his favorite apps was Mobile Justice. Heavy stuff. Yeah. And then you followed it up with Snapchat. Yeah. Or I think Hotel Tonight. Exactly. Because... Yeah. Which is on my, which is on my, we'll get there at the end, but it's on my app list. So, but speaking of Snapchat, on the line, we have Gilly Houston from Yahoo Food. Hi. (laughs) Gilly was on earlier. It's going great. She was on earlier this year for our Instagram boot camp, and she's really one of our social media experts. Gilly, what was your favorite app this year? Oh, my favorite app this year? I mean, I told you I love Snapchat. And Vasco Um, for the quality photos. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Visco. Um, yeah, those are really the ones I've really been loving lately. Okay, that's good. Consistency and loyalty throughout the year is, is <laughs> what builds. Is I'm what very builds loyal a winner. Like that. Yeah, what do you think the biggest moment or trend was on Instagram this year? Um, well, I mean, beyond just food in general, just blowing up like crazy this year i would say i mean just sort of the food porn trend i mean the really over the top decadent things i think have really just exploded um you know i've followed accounts that were started six months ago and now over have over a hundred thousand followers who you know that's mostly what they post is like these super indulgent things and and you've seen that really influencing the restaurant industry too because all these restaurants want these crazy creations, all these crazy milkshakes and burgers so that people come in and take those shots that are really going to drive people into their restaurant. So the the term food porn has been around for a while, not quite as long Mm -hmm. as just straight up porn, but food porn (laughs) has been around for at least maybe, you know, 10 years. What do you mean when you say really decadent photos? Is that the caviar shots? Is that just something really beautiful? Is that... A, a restaurant or a place you can never get into. What What's your definition of yeah, decadence and, and food my, porn? My definition of food porn is is pretty specific. I mean, if you think about porn, porn, it's it's things that might appear great on the surface, but when you really think about it, you're like, that doesn't really seem all that or, pleasant or of a situation. Or you know, it's only good in a, a close up. Like, it's only good in a yeah. close up, and the wide shots a disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and and I think it's sort of similar with food porn a lot of it you sort of think about eating it and you're like oh that would that would not do the things my body that that would not make me feel good but in the moment seeing it it's just like this rush to your brain like oh my god look at that 
melting cheese and that chocolate poured all over that and and that's what really brings the likes and people people are just like obsessed with that stuff so that's what i consider food porn not just any beautiful dish of food I've seen a, a heavy amount of caviar in mm-hmm. my Instagram feed also, and I don't know yeah. if it's because it's the holiday season or if caviar, you know, and I sort know, of upward decadence like is a trend. dumping caviar on everything. <laughs> From tater tots to potato chips yeah. to omelets and ice cream. Uni is also something I totally. see all the time. Yes. Uni is definitely in the food porn category. Yeah. Well, I also just sort of pivoting a little bit to the left off the food porn thing. I had a conversation once with Dave Chang, and we were talking about Instagram and social media and food porn. And he, like many things, says he hated food porn on Instagram and in social media. And he said it's just like porn in the sense that you have all these cooks in restaurants who think because they've seen it, they can do it. Mm. And just mm-hmm. because you've seen a great recipe or seen a great dish does not mean that you can recreate it or make it. So he said, in many ways, food porn is kind of just like porn when just because mm-hmm. you watch it doesn't mean you know how to do it. Exactly. Doesn't <laughs> mean you're going to, you know, instantly be able to make that crazy over the top milkshake or anything like that. So one of the other things that I've seen on um, as an Instagram trend, and I would love to hear your take on this, is really the year of Instagramming becoming a profession, people being professional Instagrammers mm-hmm. and getting paid to publish photos of, of things on their stream. Mm-hmm, totally. How does that, how did that, yeah, I mean, how does that even happen? Well, I mean, I personally know I get reached out to a lot by not necessarily just straight up brands, but there's so many um, companies and websites and apps now that, that basically just exists to connect Instagrammers to um, to people who want to pay influencers to sort of post about them and and you represent them on their account. So um, so that's sort of in the way that people are now realizing, oh, maybe I could quit my day job or maybe I could do freelance and do this on the side and and sort of have that side hustle. And I actually know a lot of people who are now sort of trying to make that their business or or kind of becoming their own one-person marketing teams and going to restaurants and saying, hey, I'll go take photos for you, I'll do this for, for a freelancer rate. So, definitely. I wonder what the longevity is of that. I wonder how Sorry? long until... Th- I said, I wonder what the longevity is of having, being, you know, an Instagram promoter as your part-time mm-hmm. job. What At what point that bubble kind of bursts? I, yeah, and I, I mean, I've definitely brought that up to friends of mine who, who sort of are like, oh, I'm considering leaving my job and just sort of doing this full time. And I say, you know, in a few years, it might not be Instagram anymore. That's the big thing. Maybe the next big thing will be, you know, live marketing on Snapchat or whatever the next big app is. So it's definitely, I think, something to tread lightly. Or, you know, I'll say to my friends, if their main thing is Instagram, I'll say maybe try to turn this into a career, maybe try to find a company that you could work for or use this as, you know, marketing experience for your resume or something like that because, you know, apps are fleeting, everything, you know, everything in the tech age is fleeting. So so I don't think Instagram is going to be, you know, the huge thing forever and food's not going to be the huge thing on Instagram forever and, you know, so it's definitely something to think about. Very wise, sage advice. 
definitely. <laughs> Instagram will not live forever. It might live forever somewhere in a weird corner of the internet because somebody forgets to take mm -hmm. it down after it kind of dies its public death. <laughs> like all of yeah. those blogger blogs that we have and all those random accounts of things mm -hmm. that you start that you forget to delete yeah. after you move on. And I mean, because I'm sure there's still people who are very active on MySpace, but that doesn't mean that people are still, <laughs> you know, like considering MySpace the go-to thing for what's trendy and what's cool. So, Jack, you're a musical person, and MySpace was really the musical industry social. Oh goodness, Were you a, on MySpace? Of course. You, you had to be on MySpace <laughs> like at that point, but that, as she says, where has it gone now? Are, are you still on MySpace? You know, I don't even know. I guess I probably have an account. Somebody look for Jack on <laughs> MySpace and let us know. It's lingering out there. Yeah, All of our old accounts with, like, the glittery moving gifts and things like that are, are probably all still out there somewhere. In some internet graveyard, yeah. Yeah. Our internet, like, skeletons in the closet. <laughs> our MySpace <laughs> profiles. Do, do, do you have an LO profile? I think I still have an LO profile. I remember when that was all the probably. rage for, like, a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most likely. Somewhere. Well, my favorite are my friends who have AOL emails and Hotmail accounts still. So yep. <laughs> Gilly, what was your personal best, biggest moment this year on Instagram? Because you, I did see, I, I did see that you broke 50,000 followers, which is I did, amazing. yeah. That was pretty amazing and bizarre. Um you know, I think with Instagram, it's so hard to pinpoint definite moments because, you know, I don't, I've never really had a moment where one huge account reposted me and I got thousands of followers or anything like that. Um, you know, yeah, hitting 50,000, but really any of those big landmarks this year have been amazing. Last December, I was just hitting 10,000, so, you know, it sort of has just boomed from there. Um, you know, I'd say the highlights for me was just, you know, getting to travel and really share things on my travels because that's what to me is really fun and exciting is, is to be able to sort of take Instagram along for the journey wherever I'm going. That's like the perfect ad for Instagram <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, so they want to take that quote and put on a billboard and yeah. send me the... Yeah. <laughs> well, Gilly, I want to thank you for taking the time to call in and, and reminiscing about 2015 with us. And we yeah, will definitely be watching your feed next year to see where you go. And, and maybe you'll have another 40,000 follower a year next year. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, folks, stay tuned. And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have the wonderful Paul Alexander who talked to us about disconnecting from our tech is a nice way to close out the year with a little bit of balance stay tuned
Welcome back, Tech Bytes listeners. We are here in studio with Jack Inslee. Who's fumbling on his phone and and failing at Snapchat. If you heard some loud sound in the middle of that last segment, <laughs> that, that was me attempting to do a Snapchat. We're gonna do we're gonna do Snapchat boot camp in twenty sixteen. Yeah, I need it. And get the Snapchat all sorted out. Oof. Before the next thing comes out that we need to figure right, out how to exactly. do. Right. So our next guest up on the line is Paul Alexander from episode 39, Disconnect from Your Tech. Hi, Paul. Hi there. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jack. Hello. Well, you know, we thought you would be a great way to close out the call-ins on this episode because reminiscing about the end of the year and taking a look at the, the best and the worst of it, I think everybody likes to have some kind of game plan as to how to wrap up their year and, and kind of move forward. So I would love to ask you, um, I know you see and talk with a lot of people, what's the, what do you think the biggest like, complaint or problem or issue was that people had around like, tech stress this year? Uh, the number one thing definitely is stress which leads to things like stress-related headaches, poor vision, um, insomnia, and poor digestion. So it would be stress due to overuse of technology, specifically the, uh, the smartphones. Is it because it's really a 24-7 kind of thing? I think so, too. And, you know, I've also, since we did the show, I was also noticing how people, like, read their phones. And if you look, the eyes... They, they get very intense and they, they furrow their brows. So I also think that physiologically that there's a lot of tension that's accrued when you're constantly on your phone like this. So everybody has a lot of stress from their phone. What's the best way? What, how do, what's the best way to solve that? And what's the advice that you've given people over the year to try and alleviate that? Well, I think first and foremost, awareness, right? So um, you get a message or you hear a ding, like indicating that there's a message coming in, I think just first checking with yourself, taking a couple deep breaths and understanding that you're in control and you'll get to it when you want to get to it. Um, we talked last time on the show that uh, every time you get a message, right, it, it kind of instigates the dopamine response. Um, most people know the dopamine response is something that is the feel-good neurochemical, but it actually is also, it's, it's, it's seeking reward, right? And the way the dopamine receptor seeks reward is through anticipation. So you get this message, ding, and it's, it's your, your dopamine response is instigated, saying, okay, there's anticipation now. And I think before you get to that message, before you even pick up that phone, take a couple deep breaths, check in with yourself, and let yourself know all is well and, all, and you're in control. All is well. And you're in control. That's a good tagline. Well put. For next year and for every day and for every moment. The fact that there's an actual physical chemical response to getting texts and social media and likes and messaging is kind of crazy to me. It's wild. Totally wild. Yeah. The darkest moments of my year were probably moments in which I was like refreshing an app to see if somebody had liked something. That's that's probably like <laughs> as dark and low as it got in 2015. I, I would you know, have thought it was when nobody was answering your Uber request and you were just left standing on a corner somewhere in the rain. Yeah. Checking my Facebook to see who liked my complaint about it online. Right. <laughs> well, Paul, so how do you, 
how do you think a, the best way is to sort of close down a year and move on to the next one? I mean, I'm not, I, a, I I'm not a real resolutions person, but I do like to kind of look back and evaluate and assess and, you know, try and, I guess, sort of Marie Kondo my life and hold on to the good things and try and get rid of the excessive bad things. It comes down to what you focus on. I think uh, it's always good to do a daily check at the end of the day, but you know, symbolically at the end of the year too, is checking in with yourself. What are all the great things that happened in your life? You know, if you talk to people that are clinically depressed, they may experience wonderful things throughout the day and in the year, but they're not able to remember it. They only focus on what's wrong in their life and the challenges. Um, the crazy thing about focus is that what you focus on, you feel. Right, So if you do a kind of inventory about all the great things that happen in your day or your year, you begin to feel wonderful. You begin to feel satiated, like, wow, I, my life is good. I, I, I am on point. <laughs> so checking in with the year, like, what, what was awesome about your year? What was good? I think that's really healthy. It's also, it, it gives you a point of reference that you did accomplish things. Then, you know, in terms of resolution, I think a wonderful starting point is first asking yourself, um, what can I do in 2016 to contribute to this world? I think a lot of us, and I'm not setting blame, we're, we're, um, we're so caught up in having to do things and having to accomplish things. If we kind of get our, outside of ourselves for a minute and ask about contribution, about growing in that way, it will give us a sense of fulfillment. So that's a great idea, appreciating what you have, focusing on the good things, not the bad things, and focusing on doing some good for the world around you. You know, it's interesting you say focusing on the good things and talking about them and, and not focusing on the bad things is, is a very helpful place to be. It totally made me think of Yelp and how Yelp is an awful place to be because its primary function is for people to complain. And it's this giant reservoir of people complaining and talking about how awful things are, mm. which leads to some sort of like more awfulness and, and stress and, and unhappiness. So I even think when people are talking about or thinking about starting businesses and starting apps and tech and what can they create and what system can they disrupt, creating things where, you know, you can bring people together to do something positive will probably be much more successful. I think so. And also, you know, especially from my framework, being um, a Chinese medical practitioner, um, I believe everything is energy. So if you begin to cite all the things that you're grateful for, how do you feel? You begin to feel good. You begin to feel positive. You begin to emit a frequency that is of that nature. And believe it or not, you attract in life not what you want, but what you are. So by thinking about all the things you're grateful for, you get more of like same. And I, I think that personal positive energy and that frequency that you emit is probably stronger than the 5G network. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I hope so. <laughs> and I'll just make a small footnote that when you talk about doing all these things, I'm assuming you're talking about doing them in the real world and not on your computer or on your phone or in technology. Do them in your mind. That's where everything starts, right? Everything is a seed first thought of and conceived in the internal world, which is your mind, and then let it express itself in the external world. Okay. 
I think that's doable. That sounds much more doable than the cold shower thing you talked about on the disconnect <laughs> episode, which I still give it a try. Though. I still haven't tried it. I still haven't tried it. I'm a little wary of it, but I think about it sometimes when I'm in the shower. That's step one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for calling in, Paul, and for having been a guest. And would say have a have a great end to your year, and look forward to talking to you in 2016. Uh, it's a pleasure. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you very much. So we're going to take a quick break, and then Jack and I are going to be back for our final thoughts on 2015, including App of the Year. Wow. Heavy. Be right back. My thirtieth year to heaven Woke to my hearing from harbour and neighbourhood And the muscle pulled and the heron priesthood Got me thinking about cold showers over here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from the Chinese medicine practice of putting yourself through a physical challenge and not because of the food porn conversation, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> just checking. Yes. For those of you just tuning in, that is the voice of Jack Inslee. Tech Bytes, engineer, musical director, Heritage Radio Network's executive producer, DJ host of Full Service Radio, and Gunwash. Ooh. Do you have some special, like, 36-hour day that the rest of us don't have? <laughs> no, certainly not. Well, I'm happy to have Jack in studio sitting on one of the vinyl chairs so we can wrap up 2015. Let's do a quick rapid fire. What was your favorite app this year? My favorite app this year is is a really tough one, um, but in terms of what I used the most and what made my... It's got to be a tie, and it's a tie between Waze and Venmo. Really? Yeah, it is. Venmo, I, I mean everything in my life I, I kind of take care of through Venmo, whether it's paying out a DJ from a gig. They don't want to sit there until 5 in the morning when the, the money's counted out. They get in a cab and go home, and then when I do get the money, I just Venmo it to them. Okay. Brunch with my girlfriend, split the bill, Venmo. It, it has taken care of so much in my life. And then Waze, because the user-generated um, traffic reports are just so incredibly useful in circumventing traffic. I've beaten so many people to places when we leave the same place at the same time through Waze, real-time updates. That positivity you're talking about, it's all positive in Waze. It's a user, like a community-supported platform, so... You know, it's the users who make it work. So if I see an accident and I report that accident, it helps the person behind me. It's, yeah, those are my two apps. Okay, very practical. Very. Very practical. Yeah. And help you stay organized. Right. Excellent. I'm going to say, you know, in all honesty, I don't use apps all that much. The app I probably used the most is my camera app because Mm. I use it all the time. I use it to... I use it as visual note-taking when I'm out at events or things or walking down the street or a book I want to read or something I want to buy or the back label of a box of risotto in the grocery store. I take pictures here. I take pictures to Instagram. I take pictures for the you know Tech Bytes Facebook page to send photos to friends far and wide. So I think 
the photo app is the one thing that I consistently use probably every single day. All right. Yeah. Solid. Utilitarian. So what do you think the top food tech trend is? You said delivery. Uh-huh. And, and payment for sure. So Delivery I mean, and payment. Yeah, the, the whole space that Cover is occupying, and I'm not just saying this because they're homies, but I, I do think that's going to really grow and evolve over the next year. Tying into what Ryan was talking about as well, because it all plays into the same thing. It's how we pay for things. It's how people get paid. You know, it's reimagining all of that. I think I would have to agree on the food delivery, mm. segregated by the two sides. One, food delivery, tech being delivering actual food products to you. Mm -hmm. And then on the second group being the third-party delivery platforms. I think there's going to be an interesting shakedown in third-party apps and third-party services, not just in the food space, but also in the general delivery space, driver space, buying space. Oh, yeah. Um, Because increasingly people are having a discussion about, wait a minute, they're getting 12%, 20% to do what? You pay the middleman. To do what? You know, <laughs> you always end up paying the middleman. Exactly. So I do think that, you know, part of the amazing thing about technology is it allows us to connect one-on-one in ways that we never could before. Right. And there's this cottage industry that has sprung up of building platforms to interrupt that direct connection. So I think those will probably come up and then the walls will come down. One more thought on on other apps. Um, Pairing apps, maybe on a more gastronomic side here, more pleasure-based side. Maybe, you know, pairing apps. The Cupid Cheese app. The Cheese Cupid app. The wine pairing apps. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. And in a world where more beverages and more foods and more home cooks are getting more experimental. And I mean, I think this kind of pairing thing might do well in the app space next year. So what was your favorite podcast of the year? Oh, wow. I mean, I'm biased. I'm, I'm totally left-fielding, Jack, because we did not talk about this as a category. Yeah, people are always disappointed when they talk to me about podcasts because I don't listen to many outside of Heritage Radio. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, Heritage Radio is fair game. Yeah. Totally. Heritage Radio is fair game. Well, I, w- I mean, if I weren't on your show, I would shout out your show because I think it's... Um, I think it's brought up some conversations that need to be had specifically like my favorite episode of your show was the the seamless show our show yeah and thank you yeah um <laughs> thank you uh but I think that was that was one of the most interesting conversations I've heard to hear a restaurant owner say hey I got into this so I could get a one-on-one relationship with my customers and this third-party app has taken that away from me and had i known that i would have never started this restaurant. yeah that was a really heartbreaking moment when he said he would have never opened his restaurant if he knew yeah it yeah. was it really was um that was probably that was probably my favorite podcast of, of the year here if you're asking me off the top of my head That's of course there was the cannabis cooking episode of Gunwash, <laughs> which was also a, a winner yeah that's a fun cavalcade you got on Thursday nights with the gun wash crew. Oh, you better believe it. Um, and, and before we wrap, I, I guess I just want to shout out some of the better like drink and food moments I've had of the year and some of the trends I saw. Definitely the year of cider, I thought. Um, yep, hard cider, sparkling yep. cider, cider and bars. That will yep. continue to grow. All the food people I've spoken to about it and, and chefs, they, they love to talk about how well it pairs with food. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting separation in how restaurants deal with cider, which I find interesting. I've been in restaurants where 
cider is on the sparkling beverage list mm-hmm. when it's ciders that are coming in a big 750 bottle mm-hmm. and they will serve it in a flute or a wine glass and liken it to a sparkling wine like a cava or prosecco or champagne and so you'll find it in that section of the list and then the flip side to that is you see it you know on tap in bottle or in can in the beer section absolutely in the craft beer section of a menu so there are two different places to look for it and doesn't really can, belong in both but i mean yeah i mean it should sort of just be its own, it's category. own category that's how right. i feel yeah 100 percent vegetables i think more and more vegetable driven menus um I, I hope that continues i think it will continue i this was a, a a historic year for me in terms of meat consumption definitely the least amount of meat i've ever consumed in one year by choice yeah, I think by choice. I mean, I date a pescatarian, but also I think a lot of the restaurants and um, foods that have interested me this year have happened to be vegetable driven. And uh, I think that'll probably continue. So as a person who follows your social media feed, does where does donut fit in to that? <laughs> Don't talk to me about pastries. That's that, that, We'll try to cut that next year. I've got a problem with pastries. Jack has a pastry breakfast habit. Yeah. Yeah. Got to cut that. I would agree with the cider. I would definitely agree with the vegetables. Um, in terms of other restaurant trends, I feel like there is a trend of wine, cocktail, liquor-driven restaurants mm. with a food component where the food component is complementary and a little bit smaller in scale and price than a full-blown restaurant. Totally. And I think it's sort of a hybrid type of thing which meets the requirement of wanting to go out with people and enjoy food and drink but maybe not wanting to be in a full-up bar environment but maybe also economically not wanting to take a big bite into a full meal in a restaurant and that bill absolutely that it includes so i almost feel like the whole wine bar with food food bar beverage Raw bar kind of thing. Exactly. Where it's a little bit of food and a little bit of drink. It's not a bar. It's not a restaurant. But it's kind of in the middle where you can go. You can get together with people and have both of them. But at a slightly um, more uh, easier price point. Yeah. No, no question. Grand Army, one of my favorite spots of the year, is exactly that. Yeah. So I would definitely say that's a trend. And my favorite podcast, I have to say... And I love Heritage Radio, and I listen to lots of the shows, but hands down, my favorite podcast is Barack Obama on Mark Maron's podcast. That was the correct answer, yes. Um, If you've never listened to Mark Maron, that's okay. I would recommend you download the Barack Obama podcast along with the compendium podcast to that, which is Mark Maron and his producer talking about how the Barack Obama episode happened and the aftermath of it. And it's really, they're, they're really two amazing pieces. And one of the things that I love about podcasting, and I hope everyone listening does too, is it's so intimate because you put your earbuds and the headphones on and it's right in the ears and it's very close. And listening to Barack Obama sitting in a garage in California on the orange vinyl chair talking about being a college student and his youth and just hanging, it's kind of amazing. Absolutely. They're going to kick us off any minute now. Okay, well, the last thing I'd like to say is that was the best podcast of last year. Mm. And 
I would love it if Barack Obama would come on Tech Bites in 2016 and be the best episode on Tech Bites next oh, yeah. year. Absolutely. I'll DJ that episode. He'd be a good get. Yeah. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show, Jen. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. If you like this, come back next week. If you love it, go to heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the beating heart. Throw us some holiday money and contributions so we can reach our year-end fundraising goal of $100,000 to keep the lights on and make more radio. Thanks. network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.